Last week we did an introductory message, kind of the overall themes, the scope of Hebrews, uh, and, and talked about how it was really a letter that was written to people who were Jewish converts and were facing major oppression. There's a lot of things that we don't necessarily know about the details of that, where, uh, exactly when, but we do know that they were needing encouraged and they were really needing to be exhorted in this time. And that's what the writer does all throughout this. And we're going to pick up today and we're going to talk about the radiance of his glory. And as Aaron read to begin this morning, I want to go back and let's reread verses 1 through 4 as we look at the radiance of his glory. Verse 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So he kind of comes out swinging here in this letter. There's no greeting. There's no, hey, how, how's things going? How are you? How's your mom and them? Hope everything's good. Now he, he knows. He knows who he's writing to. He knows what the situation is, and he just gets straight to the point. And he makes the statement that, Long ago, God spoke through the prophets to your fathers in, in various times, in various ways, in various means. And the ways that he did is we can look back and we can see where he spoke through a cloud, through a pillar of fire, through a burning bush. He spoke through dreams. He spoke through visions. He spoke through prophets that were sent out of nowhere. We just covered Elijah. He spoke through that. He even... He even spoke through a donkey in the Old Testament. So there's various ways, various means that he did this. And there was various times, so it was all scattered throughout the Old Testament. But what we see in the Old Testament is while everything points to Jesus Christ and this Messiah, there's not a full revelation of the character of God. So it's like puzzle pieces hitting the board. And the puzzle never being completed. It was just glimpses here and there. But in these last days, the writer of Hebrews says that we have now received the full revelation of God's character in His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's the final revelation. There's no greater revelation coming. There's no further insight into the character of God that's coming. We had the, the first revelation, which was the Old Testament, which were pieces that were incomplete and in different times. Then we see Jesus coming, and he shows us this full puzzle. He shows us the full revelation all at once in the form of a man. And then we see this passage tell us that he was also once he took care of of the sin problem, once he laid down his life, once he rose from the grave, and once he ascended into heaven, 
says that he is seated the right hand of the Father. And in the Jewish culture, to be seated meant that the work was done. It was complete. There was a fulfillment to it. Again, Christ came to fulfill the Old Testament laws, not to abolish them. So there's been a fulfillment of this revelation. And I, I told you last week that Hebrews has kind of been one of the more intimidating books at times for me to entertain teaching through, preaching through, just because it's, it's incredibly deep from a theological sense. There's beautiful doctrine that's established in Hebrews. And, and to be honest with you, um, we could go there and spend a lot of time. Uh, I actually read a book and a commentary of, of one pastor who spent 11 years in the book of Hebrews. And he still said that he felt like he left so much of it out. So we're, we are honestly, in, in not setting up a bad dad joke, we are very much going to take an aerial view, but I do want to show you a little bit of what the author's intent is and how deep you can honestly go with this book. Because he makes this statement that long ago, God spoke through various ways, various means at various times to your fathers, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us in the final revelation of his son. So if you take the look at, he's the radiance of his glory, because we see the radiance of his glory, we see the exact uh, imprint, basically, of the Father, we see the victory over sin, we see him seated at his right hand, far superior than anything. He's, it's the old preacher's kind of mantra that you've heard me say a couple times and probably heard preachers most of your life, if you've been in church for a while, say this, that you know, our goal in a message is to tell you what we're going to tell you, then tell you what we're going to tell you, and then tell you what we just told you. So, I mean, that's kind of the thing. We're going to tell you, we're going to let you know what we're saying, we're going to say what we're saying, hopefully, and then we're going to tell you what we just said. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is doing here. He comes right out of the gate swinging with this, and all other truth, all other theology, all other doctrine that you can pull from the book of Hebrews points directly back to the first four verses here. Because that's what's establishing it. He is giving us the character of Jesus Christ because he is making, he's advocating for this fullness of the revelation of God's character. So the, the way that you can get lost in this, and the way that I kind of did this week and had to kind of pull back a little bit, because I asked, my, I asked myself the question of, okay, I just read those first four passages. Where does that take me to? Well, it takes me to the Gospel of John. Like, chapter 1. John comes out in his Gospel and makes an immediate case for the deity of Jesus Christ. He said, in the beginning was the Word was Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's immediately establishing this before anything, before any creation, was the Word, was Jesus Christ. He was with God, he was God. I was like, okay, so where does John, you know, John 1 take us? Genesis 1-1, like in the beginning. So this right out of the bat, this immediately traces us back to before creation. But with the way that we're approaching this book, what I want us to look at this morning is really 
kind of the more, the, the battle for truth that we face. Because we see all of these things happening, and there's, there's things that go on in our lives, in our hearts, and we have to battle for truth in our life. Amen? Like it, it, it's a battle for truth in our lives. And there is a sense of unifying truth that the author of Hebrews is writing here in this passage. One of the dangers of our time, of any time really, but in our lives really specifically, is that we tend to want to allow our emotions to determine what is true for us. And I'll say this, emotions are beautiful things. They are designed by God. He works through them, but your emotions make horrible masters. Your emotions make horrible gods. How many of you in here right now feel like you're an emotional train wreck? Right? Like, oh, and that's what's going to lead me into all truth, huh? Okay, great. But there's this tendency, right, that whatever we feel, whatever we think, what, whatever's stirring inside of us, that's what is truth to us. But we see this grand unifying statement, especially for the believer. Okay, we see it for the believers in Jesus Christ that there is only one source of truth, and that is Jesus Christ. Period. And the author continues to go, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. All of this anger that you're feeling, Jesus is greater. All this joy that you may be experiencing because of circumstances, Jesus is greater. All of this persecution you're facing, Jesus is greater. All of this, this, uh, this tragedy, this loss that you're experiencing, Jesus is greater. And the challenge that we face as believers, I believe in Hebrews 13, 8, it says this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Would you say amen to the statement that Jesus never changes? It's truth. It's biblical truth in which the believers in Jesus Christ have to be rooted and grounded in. Here's the caveat to that, however. Jesus Christ never changes, but our understanding of who He is always changes. I don't understand everything about Jesus. So my understanding of Him has to grow. It has to mature. I have to be seeking daily about the truth of who He is. If He never changes, then I have to continually be on a journey to seek for greater revelation of that truth. And if I allow my truth or my current understanding of what the truth is to never waver, if I never allow that to be challenged, then what I've done is I have removed God from the throne of king over my life and I've placed myself there. If I do not allow the truth that I, I cling to today to be, to be increased, to be challenged, to be maturing, then I feel like I have got a complete picture of truth and then I stop seeking God and I place my truth, my understanding, 
upon a throne in my own heart. So as we look for truth, as we battle for truth, we have to understand that it comes at us and towards us in a couple different ways. The first is that it comes from external sources. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 tells us this. This is out of the New Living Translation. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. In a nutshell, people who don't know Jesus Christ don't understand the Word of God. They don't understand fully the revelation of truth that is found in Jesus Christ. And they're not supposed to. It is the Spirit that gives us enlightenment. It is the Spirit that brings insight into God's Word and into His nature and His character for us because apart from His Spirit, it's foolish to us. And we can't understand it. But yet, we seem to face this and most of the time, unfortunately, give in to this external pressure from the world. Those who don't know Jesus, that don't understand it, that this life and this faith that we live that seems like foolishness to them, we feel and allow the influence of their pressure to redefine the truth that we find in God's Word. And we have to make sure that everything is being taken through the lens of His Word, of His character, of His Spirit, to make sure that it is indeed the truth in our lives. Does this make sense so far? We good? Okay, there's, there's three. Okay, so I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with that. So we face this external pressure to compromise or in some cases, maybe round off some sharp edges. We're also going to see in the book of Hebrews that it declares that His Word is sharper than any two-edged sword. So we face these external pressures about truth and holding firm to the truth that we see revealed in God's Word and not only holding firm to that, but growing in that. But I believe we also face an internal battle. And and, and I think this is the biggest one for us because Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. Next slide, please. There we go. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. left to our own devices, left to our own understanding. Because there is a way that seems wise unto a man, but the end thereof is death. There's reasons that Jesus instructs us that we need to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Because while God can use our heart, we face a constant battle that's warring inside of us that Paul calls the battle of the flesh versus the spirit. There's a battle in your mind which we are instructed to take captive every thought. 
We see things not only coming against us externally day in and day out, but we face these same doubts, these same fears, these same questions in our hearts, inside of ourselves. There's a reason that the psalmist said that I have taken the word of God and I have hidden it in my heart so that I shall not sin against him. There's a reason that we're instructed to be grounded in him, in his word, in his presence. Because that is where the source of truth, the foundational source of truth for the believer is found. And that's in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And that's what the the author of Hebrews is leading us into here. He's like, listen, all of the Old Testament stuff was great because we have to remember, people were facing such persecution. There were believers that were facing such turmoil and trial during this time that they were not only losing their life. They were not only growing discouraged, but they were falling into apostasy, or basically they were falling away from the faith. They were renouncing their faith, and they were wanting to go back to the old Jewish customs that they had served for so long. Now, the Jewish people knew a thing or two about being persecuted, but at this time, it was far simpler and a far easier life for someone to be a Jew rather than to be a Christian. Because it was at this point that the Christians were being persecuted. And the writer of Hebrews says, don't go back to that. Don't go back to what you once knew. Because although we saw flashes, although we saw glimpses, although we had moments Although we saw some incredible things happen, what you are now following is greater than anything you've ever experienced in your life. And folks, can I let you know this morning that we need to make that same decision. We need to draw the same line in our lives because each and every one of us will face multiple occasions in our heart and in our mind that we begin to face things and we ask the question, is it really worth it? We're we're not above that. We're not beyond that. We still face that, some of us, on a daily basis of, I'm so tired. I don't know how much more I can take. And we find ourselves looking for that other shoe to drop, just waiting on the next bad thing to happen. And we, this thought rolls through our mind. That's why it's important to take it captive. The thought of, well, I don't remember it ever being this hard before I started serving the Lord. Or you remember when I was still doing this, you remember when my life was so much better back when? Newsflash, your life's not, all, not ever been good to the level that you've wanted it to be good. Before Christ, I don't care what lie the enemy tries to tell you, your life before Christ was not better than what you have it now. And I can say that is because if you were so satisfied with your life before Christ, you would have never come to Christ. But we've got to draw a line somewhere, somehow. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is encouraging us to do, is to understand that we have a source. 
We have a Savior that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter how sad, no matter how hurt, no matter how mad, no matter how much pain and trial and turmoil that you're going through, you always have a source of hope that's greater than what you're facing. And conversely on that fact, you may be in the best season of your life. Things may be easier for you now than they ever have been. You may be making more money. You may be in the best relationship. You may find yourself at the best job you've ever been at. You may be facing and experiencing the most contentment that you've ever had. Let me, let me throw this out at you. Jesus is still greater than that. No matter how happy you are, no matter how content you are, no matter how quote-unquote good things are in your life, Jesus is greater. Because someday, at some time, that rug will be pulled out from under you. And unless we're rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ, then our hope is always going to change with our circumstances. So there's a battle that's happening in our lives for truth. For this truth that Jesus is greater. And, and we face it like, you know, we, we see how the enemy can divide us. We see how he brings discord among the churches. Just interesting little side note here. I challenge you to look at any other faith or any other religion in the world and find one that has more than like two or three major sects, you know, like major denominations. How many denominations does the Christians have? Does the Christian church have? We got like thousands. We are the most divided faith group on the face of the planet, and it's not even close. And most of the time, it's a result of getting our focus off of what is essentially important about the gospel and getting into things that we feel are important and that our truth aligns with this. That was a soapbox, I'm sorry. I'm really not. It was a soapbox, but I'm not sorry. But we, we find ourselves just such at war in our hearts for truth, right? Like we're, we're really going after it. Things are really going well. Like we're going after Jesus. We're experiencing more than what we've ever experienced in Him and, and life's just great. And then, then maybe there's a diagnosis of a sickness. And that kind of derails us a little bit. That question, you know, that, that, that question that we see and we face both externally and internally is how how can a, a good God allow this? Maybe we face loss. Maybe we lose a loved one. We're, we're really going hard for God, and then all of a sudden we, we experience loss. And then we go back into that doubt. Maybe, maybe we have just made some strides in a, in a really positive way towards our relationship with God, and then we face some kind of a setback. And we wind up going back into that toxic relationship that we know is toxic, we know it's not good for us. 
but yet it's comfortable. And if I'm going to face difficulties over here, at least I should be over here and comfortable. Like we always face those challenges. So you're in a battle for this truth that Jesus Christ is the final revelation. He is the truth. He is the character. It's the Greek word. It's character only. The second C is spelled with a K instead of a C. And it's, it's used as kind of like a signet ring. You know, they had the signet rings that they would put the emblem onto the wax seal of whatever documents, envelopes or anything. I tried to get my wife to buy me a signet ring, signet ring as a sermon illustration. She said yes, to be honest with you. I just couldn't justify paying it, you know. Because you really couldn't see a signet ring from up here, but it was Lord of the Rings. It was so cool. It was so cool. It was Aragorn's ring. I mean, it was awesome. But anyhow, I was like, it's for a sermon illustration, honey. And she went, I go ahead and get it. I'm confused by your tactics. I'm sure what's going on here. But we have this battle going on, and it's up to us. It, it's up to us in our relationship with God to, to seek out the truth, to seek truth constantly. So uh, four things that I want to kind of go with and give you some practical advice as you're seeking this truth. The first thing you need to do when you're seeking truth, seek God himself. Seek God himself. Don't seek counsel from your pastor first. Don't seek counsel from anybody else around you first. That's a great resource. I encourage you to do that. Just don't have it first. Don't get on TV. Don't go to commentaries. And for the love of everything holy, don't get on social media and try to find it. Seek God first. James, the beginning of verse 8 in chapter 4, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And you draw near to God by focusing on His presence. We just came out of a study of the book of Exodus last year. And it's, it was all about this, Him bringing them out of Egyptian bondage to lead them into His presence. And He does the same for you and I. He leads us out of a life of bondage to sin to bring us into His presence. Draw close to God. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in His Word. Take quiet times and meditate your thoughts upon Jesus Christ and what He's done for you. Now, don't get derailed that I said the word meditate. Okay? Meditate in its original Greek form means to think in a way as to make yourself healthy. And what better source of health do we have than Jesus Christ? Amen? Think upon the Lord. Spend time in worship. Spend time in prayer with your family. Spend time seeking the face of God. Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. If there's a battle happening for truth in your life, draw near to the final revelation of God's character. Next, pursue sound doctrine. Pursue sound doctrine. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will acclimate for them, they will accumulate, sorry, words are hard, for themselves teachers 
to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Sound doctrine. Now listen, most of you, a lot of you, have known me for the majority of my life. Okay? And if there's one revelation that was evident from the very beginning of you knowing me is I'm not that smart. It was a really good place for you to say amen right there. And you missed it. You missed it. But here is what my heart is. is I never want to get up in front of you without being in the Word. Now, there have been times in my past that I've not always had this value. There have been times in my past that I've wanted to get up and just say the best words possible. Wanted to, I wanted to do it for Jesus, but I've not always had the mentality that I truly need to study myself, to study to show myself approved. I constantly tell the elders, if I'm preaching something that's off, you better check me on it. That's why I ask you from time to time, if I'm saying something that is playing to the itching ears and wanting to further some kind of narrative that fits in a cultural norm right now, I urge you lovingly, lovingly, to come and approach me, correct me. Because we all make mistakes, but there's a difference between making a mistake and then actually compromising the truth that's in God's Word. The day that I settle for acceptance of compromising God's Word is the day that you need to find a new pastor. It's the day, it's the day that I need to be gone. And you, in your pursuit of greater truth and revelation in God, you need to make sure that you are not giving yourselves an enduring false teaching, and things that just make you feel better about yourself because people like you. So you need to pursue sound doctrine. The next is that you need to love everyone. 1 John 4.8 Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It's pretty simple so far, right? Seeking the truth. Like, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Don't, don't seek out or don't put up with false teaching. Love people. And yes, this means love everyone. The people you don't agree with, love them. The people you don't like, love them. The people who think differently than you do. People who look differently than you do. People who have different moral compasses and values than what you have. The people who serve a different God than you do. Who, who practice a different faith than you do. The people who don't practice a faith or believe in a God at all. The people who live their life differently than what you do. Love everyone. And yes, there is a way that you can speak truth in love and not compromise the truth, but still earnestly love that person. Wow, that was quiet. Love everyone. Because if Christ is able to love you, he's able to love anybody. 
Christ is able to love me, he's able to love everybody. And it's by his love that I'm called to love, not by my love. <laughs> and the last thing is just be courageous. Be courageous. 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 8. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Be courageous in seeking God. Be courageous in sharing God. Be courageous in loving each other. Be courageous. Be bold. But do it in love. Right? Do it in love. The way that Christ is calling us to love one another. And this call for unity that we see around Jesus Christ, this final revelation. Now again, I've always stated to you, and I'll say it again, that God's Word is the primary way that He communicates to us. It's the primary way that He reveals Himself to us. It's not the only way. See, we, we are a church that believes in the Trinity. Amen? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> but sometimes, some churches have a little bit of a different take on what the Trinity is because you can go to some churches and their Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Bible. When the real Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and the God the Holy Spirit, in which inspired the writing of God's Word. Make no mistake about it. God's Word is His inspired Word. It is from Him. It does have authority in our life, but we are to never, ever elevate a Word over His presence. Because then it becomes all about what we can gather here instead of here. But seek God. Seek Him in prayer. Seek Him in your quiet moments. Seek Him in your times of worship. And seek Him in His Word. And I believe that we can look and we can see Jesus' prayer in John 17 when He said, Father, I want them to be unified as You and I are unified. This is Jesus' cry for us to share in a unity that mirrors the unity between God the Father and God the Son. And if there is any source, foundational source, that we should be able to unify because of, it is the truth of the revelation in His Word. Amen? Amen. I want to ask you to pray with me, if you would. Father, I just pray that, that this Word would just uh, go into our hearts as we begin to approach Hebrews uh, throughout this year that, God, there's, there's so much beauty, there's so much depth in there. But God, allow us to always draw from these passages that Jesus Christ is greater. He's, he's greater than anything we face. He's greater than anything we fear. He's greater than any joy. He's greater than any type of sorrow. He's greater than whatever we experience here in life. And God, I pray that just as the author of Hebrews has done, let us continually go back to that truth that Jesus Christ is greater. 
In Christ's name I pray.